0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 4, 1-7. to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Thank you, Elizabeth, for reading that this morning. Um, it occurred to me while we were singing, uh, we're singing songs about no longer being a slave but a son and singing about the fatherhood of God and about the creed, how easy it is for me, I'm, I'm not speaking for everybody, but I imagine I'm speaking for a lot of us, um, how easy it can be to, follow, to to kind of hear Bible talk, God talk, church talk as kind of this language that is its own little thing. It's got color and phrases, and but it, but it can be emptied of meaning, and it, or, or at least we can lose access or, or connection to the significance of what we're saying. And we've said some really significant things um, this morning, even just in talking about being no longer slaves but sons. That image is potent, and we're, we're going to talk about it today. And one of the ways I wanted to start this was just to say, look, we live in a time where it is culturally, the cultural pressure uh, is not incumbent on all of us to figure out who we are, to have an identity, to know what it is, to embrace it, to make sure that the world knows what it is, and for the world to cooperate with embracing our identity as we project it and as we define it, right? And so we, we live in a time where, where people, uh, where, where there's almost no more sacred Right as an individual, that you have than to declare who you are. And it, and I know, I don't know that we age out of that, to be honest. I'm 46, in case you're wondering. If we've never met, my name's Russ, I'm 46. (laughs) I'm still one big walking identity crisis a lot of the times. And I, I know that many of you are too. We, we get coffee, we talk, I know. Um, that we're trying to figure out who we are. And the beauty of the gospel is the gospel tells us a lot of who we are. The, the pushback that our culture gives is nobody tells you who you are. You tell them who you are. But if we're going to understand the gospel, we have to understand that, that God has, oh, he has a right to tell us who we are especially if we're his. Uh, Part of my conversion story, this isn't in my notes, so this is (laughs) bonus material, um, is part of my conversion story involves my parents' conversion when I was young, and, and one of the things that just kind of got into my mom's heart and mind was this idea that if there is a creator of the universe who made all things and sustains all things and created people, and created her. She kind of had this conviction come over her that if there is a God like that, he has a legitimate claim on me. If he made me, if there is an author to my life, he has a right to me. And we live in a time where just we push on that. And we say, nobody has a right on your identity. Nobody has a right to tell you who you are or to decree or declare anything about you. But the beauty of Scripture is God is saying to us, you are not starting from nothing. You're not starting from square one where there's nothing true about you and it's up to you to construct it. It's not up to us to create our own identity. Now, sure, we have things that distinguish us from other people gifts, interests, passions, relationships. We have all kinds of things that differentiate us. But we don't live to prove that there is an identity to who I am. It's given to me, it's not something I make. So, when it comes to the human relationship with God and with one another, but when it comes to the human relationship with God, Scripture tells us you don't invent that relationship. You don't start from nothing and fabricate. Something already exists. Who we are to God is a relationship and a status that is conferred onto us, it's given. It's something that God gives us. We're born with it. We can't fabricate it, we can't unravel it either. When our faith is in Christ, as this passage is telling us, one of the markers of that status is we are adopted into his family as his sons. And you might say, and daughters. And I'm going to say, actually, no, as sons. And don't be offended until you give me a chance to defend what I just said, and I'll defend it later. But we're adopted as as sons. I'm going to show you a picture now. Okay. <laughs> Toby, Joy, and Theo. These three kids on, what would it be? Let's see, you're standing here, you're facing this direction, you're left. You're left, these three kids on your left, that photo was taken two years ago at a foster home in China. And all three of them were orphans, and all three of them were waiting for their forever families, and those three were a unit. They are not blood relation, but they are a unit. They are a, uh, they grew up together. And there on the right, that picture was taken last night. It was taken last night at Toby's house. He's the the, the boy on the left. Um, Their family is a part of our congregation. And Joy, there in the middle, she was adopted about, December of last two years ago, um, by another family that lives here in Nashville, uh, who are friends of ours. And then that's our Theo uh, there on the right, hamming it up for us. And it was an amazing thing because what happened, the transformation in between these two pictures, is all those three kids on the left were all adopted into families. Uh, and the three kids on the right have. Parents and they have a home and they have a name and they have a place and they and and as far as they're concerned, you know it 's funny like the three kids being back together here in America with three families that adopted each of them by the orchestration and the grace of God that they would all have this ability to grow up together and be friends together um, is is an amazing it's an amazing thing to to think about but but they are they love each other and they are bound to each other uh, and they've been friends since they were little and, and by God's grace, they've been adopted into these families who know each other and live near each other. And this passage is a passage that's talking about what it means to be adopted, uh, what it means to be adopted into God's family. You would think that when these three kids would get together, that it would be kind of this magical reunion where they would all run to each other in a big embrace and say in their little five-year-old voices how amazing it is that they get to be together. But we forget their kids kids, and they don't really know there's a China and an America yet. They, they just, they don't know that where they're on the other half of the world uh, from where they started, and they've spent as much time playing individually as they do together when they get together. But we as parents, we look at the three of them in the same room together, and we can barely hold on, right? Because of all that went into it, all the prayers and the the money and the forms and the Legal stuff and the travel and all of the things that had to go in to to this this adoption, the the navigating complicated emotional terrain and the waiting. Oh, the the waiting. Theo was the last to get adopted, and he had moments when when he would watch when he watched these other two with their forever families come, and and you know the question was, where's mine? And we came, I'm going to hold it together. But when the time came, we went and we got him. And in the process of doing that, I'd say most of the people in the room helped us with this in some capacity, whether it was through prayer or helping us fund the adoption. There were were so many people. But in the process of doing that, one of the things that had to happen was Lisa and I, my wife and I, we had to stand in front of magistrates and respond to questions that were put to us. And these questions are not for the faint of heart. And so going back to what I said at the very beginning of the sermon, that it can be easy for us to kind of tie up our religious church language and just kind of this, this sort of vocabulary that we use at particular times in worship, I'm telling you that it is charged with meaning. And when we sing about being a child of God, we're singing about being an adopted child of God. And when we're singing about being an adopted child of God, it's not an insignificant thing at all. Because for my wife and I, we stood in front of a judge who looked us in the eye and said, do you understand and do you accept that by adopting this child, it will be in the eyes of the law as though he was born into your family? We did we did what's called a re-adoption where in America you go and you appear before a judge. It takes about 10 minutes uh, for us anyway. It took about 10 minutes and it, it helps with paperwork. But anyway, we did this last, last week and we stood in front of a judge and he asked us this question and it, the gravity of it, of just, it will be as though in the eyes of the law he was born to us. And it was sober because of the weight of that question but what do you think was going on in my heart when he asked that what's going in my heart is your honor you have no idea how much i understand and accept that i will burn this world to the ground for him if if that undefiled conviction could well up so fiercely in a heart that is as limited and broken as mine how much more passion and strength would exist in the father heart of god toward you that's the focus of this passage What does it mean to be accepted by God? I'll tell you what it never means. It never means that God is saying, it's a probationary kind of relationship and I'm accepting you with a little bit of optimism that you're gonna turn out okay and we're just gonna see how it goes. It never (laughs) is that way with God. When we are accepted by God, we are accepted by God to the extent that he says, you're mine. And you may ask the question, would he move heaven and earth for that? Well, <laughs> he has. We read the passage, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm not gonna cry my way through this sermon but friends, you're tracking with me, right? It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to be called an adopted child of God. To be accepted by God is to, be a, is to be adopted as his son with the assurances and inheritance that that entails, all of it. And you may say, well, if that's the case, then I think God is holding out on me. I, I don't feel that way every day. And that's the beauty of doctrine, right? Is we have doctrine that pushes back against feeling. And our feelings can be good and they can be true. And sometimes they can be hobbling us because, because they're, they're telling us things that aren't true because of how we how we're processing things in our particular context. But this passage walks us through the reality of what it means to be accepted by God. And so that's what I want to do. I'm going to walk through it a couple verses at a time. We're going to get all doctrinal about it um, because that's a beautiful thing to do. It's an important thing to do. It's true. Doctrine, what was happening, was what was happening when the judge looked at us until you understand and accept that it will be as though he was born into your family in the eyes of the law. That's doctrine, right? Right? Is no matter how you feel, it will be this way. It's an immovable thing. So let's get into this. Verses one and two says this. I mean that as uh, that the that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. What that verse is saying is that as God's children, we are in fact heirs to His kingdom, complete heirs to His kingdom. That's not in dispute. But though we're heirs to his kingdom, we're still in some ways children, and children as heirs are still kind of waiting on the full deposit to be theirs to do with what they want, right? So many of us are living in that, in that situation. I'm sure that in a, in a room like this, some of us think sometimes about our financial futures based on inheritances that are not yet that have not yet happened but may happen at some point. And we've maybe even calculated, okay, so what does that mean for what we do, right? And we've, we've kind of spent the lottery ticket in our own minds. But we think about that, but that's part of the reality of being a, children and a, a child and an heir at the same time, is, is we live as children, meaning, meaning that in, in practicality, they're not a lot different than, than the servants who live in the house because um, they're still being cared for, they're still being watched over, they still really hold no power, Um, They didn't run things, but at the same time, uh, in, in some ways, this really describes believers today. We live in that place that some theologians describe as the already and the not yet, right? I'm already a full heir with Christ, and yet I'm still waiting on my full and final official forever entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and yet I already live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I don't have a run of the place right now, right? But someday I will. And so that's what those first verses are talking about with, with being, being like, it's, you're a child, but you're not a lot different than one of the, the servants of the house. And then in verses three through five, we read this. In the same way, um, we were also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So he's getting doctrinal here, right? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive... Adoption as sons. So what he's saying here is if the first two verses are saying as God's children were heirs to his kingdom, as God's children, he's saying here we also wait on him. So we wait. And that leads to this this point here is that as God's heir, we're waiting on his timing, and this can be hard. For some of us, we, just, we feel this all the time. We feel this, this tension of I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for something to happen that hasn't happened yet, and I long for it so much. Whether it's deliverance from a particular struggle that you walk in and you just think, why has this not gone away? Why is this still rear its ugly head in my life? Why do I still fall uh, in this particular area? Or maybe it's deliverance from some kind of an affliction. Or, or maybe it's a longing for the fulfillment of something that you feel like is a little bit out of place. For many years, God's people suffered. They suffered as slaves in Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness. They fought with neighboring nations. They were carried off into exile. They went through hard things. And yet the entire time, they were waiting. And what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the deliverer, the deliverer who would come. And when It was the appointed time God sent the Deliverer. But until then, they lived under the law, which as we've discussed in the past a lot in this sermon series, living under the law was showing them their need for a Deliverer. It was showing them their guilt. It was showing them their need for Christ. And we understand this because we experience it too, that it must have been so confusing. It must have been so frustrating, so difficult to wait through so much Just sadness. Life can be so sad. It can be so unfair. It can be so difficult, right? And we wait a lot of times through that. And sometimes while we're waiting, we're wondering, has God forgotten? Or is God distant? Or is he sleeping? Or is he somehow failing? And yet we're waiting. We're waiting on the Lord. And you feel this, right? You feel the distress of it. But, Paul says, at the appointed time, God sent his son to redeem those under the law to deliver us from guilt. And so still even now, we, we wait on God. There are things that we wish were ours now that are in the not yet category um, but as God's children, though we are his heirs, we're still waiting on his timing. And then we come to verses six and seven. And they say this, Because your sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father, which is a very affectionate way of addressing God. So Theo's uh, the way he addressed me for the longest time was baba, which is the Chinese term for, for daddy, right? Now he calls me daddy. I think he's succumbed to peer pressure. And I tell him, you can still call me baba. And he looks at me like, oh, I don't think so, man. <laughs> but as children, we're, we're waiting. So, so he says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, Now, present tense, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so, what these verses are saying is as God's children, we are adopted as sons. That's two things. You're adopted as sons. I remember a seminary professor stressing to us when you're preaching on this passage, do not equivocate, sons and daughters. Don't merely say we're adopted as his children. Stress that we're adopted, men and women alike, as sons. Why? Because culturally, to the original readers of this passage, they would have understood that to be adopted as a son was something that was completely different than being adopted as a daughter. And he just finished saying, in Christ, there is no male or female. And so this is not misogynistic here. He's not going backward or, 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 or looking down on women. What he's saying is there is no male or female. In fact, when you're adopted into the kingdom of God, you're adopted as sons. What's the significance of that? The significance was in that time, daughters were not heirs. Sons were. And so if there's no more male or female, and all the women in the kingdom of God are adopted as sons, what he's saying is you're adopted as heirs. Which was unheard of for women. But that's how the readers would have understood that. They would have said, oh. Oh, there really is no male or female. To be adopted as a son is to be adopted as someone who inherits the kingdom. That's the point he's making here. Sons were the ones who were heirs. And so on the heels of telling the Galatians there's no male or female in Christ, Paul says that when our faith is in Christ, to all of us, we're heirs, even daughters. Even daughters are heirs. And not only are we heirs, not only are we sons, but we're adopted sons. There was a law in the Roman culture and in the Jewish culture, that when you adopted, if you had a child born to you, you could disown that child. That child could do things that would make you look at him and say, eh, you're done. You're not, I'm disowning you, I'm cutting you off from the family, you've disgraced our name, you're, you're done. It was illegal to disown an adopted child. It was, it was there's no turning back. When you are an adopted child, you are adopted for life. End of discussion. Why? Because your parents chose you. They chose you. They said, it will be as though in the eyes of the law, you were born to me. You are mine. And so... It, 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 it's it's as powerful a statement as could be made. It's poetic that the most secure position we can hold as God's children is to be adopted as heirs. So adopted as sons, specific. To this original culture, they would have said, (laughs) you're doubling down on the promise. I'm not only adopted, but I'm adopted as an heir, as a full heir. As sons, the inheritance is ours. As adopted sons, nothing can cut us off. You can't stand in a more secure place than that. So then... You bring into that all of the identity crises that we carry with us. Is my life worth anything? Can I make it worth anything? Will people love me? Am I lovable? Am I likable? What scripture is saying, the truth is, is when your faith is in Christ, you are as loved, as seen, as known, as brought into the family of God, as irreversibly brought into the family of God as is possible. And you didn't do it. It was done on your behalf. And so then the application for us, and this is very real, is how do I learn then to live as an adopted heir into the family of God? How do I learn to live that way? And look, I know for a lot of us, we're in the beginning of sorting out the first part of that question, how do I live? I'm just learning how to live. I'm learning how to be an individual. I'm learning how to, you know, maybe maybe you're in the you know, kind of standing with, with kind of your childhood behind you and your adult life ahead of you and there's all these unanswered questions and all this just open, wide open opportunity that's just right there. Hear me when I say, you are not without an identity. Already. How do we learn to live as a son in the house of God? As adopted heirs, we have to learn how to do this, right? You have to learn how to live as a member of the household. We have to learn the language. You have to learn the customs. You have to learn the food. You have to learn the timing of things. You have to learn the patterns. How do we do that? Our Theo has to learn how to be your Ramsey, right? He hasn't been one. He's, he just became one. He, he spent the first four and a half years of his life as not a Ramsey. And so he's learning how to do that. How does Theo learn how to live as a child in our house? One of the ways, one of the key ways, one of the primary ways, is he learns from the other children in the house. The ones who were born into it. The ones who have been here since their beginning What does that mean for believers? It means how do I learn to live as an heir, as an adopted son in the kingdom of God? I look at his son. I imitate the son. I learn from him. I follow him. I see what he's teaching. We study him. We ask him show me how to live as a member of this family. It really highlights one of the core values that we have as a church, right? Worship, connect, serve. This is in the worship category, right? Is that we're learning how to love the Father. And the way we learn to love the Father is by loving the Son and following the Son and learning from the Son. And so we desire to be a church filled with people who are worshiping the Lord together, corporately as church on Sunday, which was God's idea. That, the, that his people would gather in communities where we would be known and we would walk together and learn together and struggle together and have our lives uh, seen by other people. And that we would spend time with Jesus every day. Why? Because this is the work of learning how to live as God's children, is that Jesus is teaching us how to be in that household, how to be in that kingdom. The other thing we have to learn is we, ha- we have to learn how to call on God as the adopted father, as our adopted father, and not as a gatekeeper, and not as a disgruntled boss, and not as um, an annoyed, begrudging caretaker who's just putting up with us and we're on his last nerve, but how, how, how to call on him as our adopted father. See, this passage doesn't just give us raw doctrinal principles. There's a heart there's a heart behind it that, we should draw, that it should draw from us a response, that this truth should draw from us a response of a child longing for the affectionate embrace of a loving parent. Theo has never known me as Russ. He knows that's my name, but he doesn't know me as Russ. Why? Because I was never just Russ to him. I was, in the beginning, the man who was working to adopt him. And then, I was the man who showed up to adopt him. And now, I am the man who has adopted him. I am his father. I'm his dad. And so when he sees me from across the room, and you see it here in this room, that when he sees me, he doesn't play it cool. He doesn't just nod at me like, that. what's going on? Daddy comes out and he runs over. Because he's convinced that I'm awesome. (laughs) He is. He's convinced that I'm awesome. Why? Because he has the spirit of a son. He is the spirit of a son. But he has more than the spirit of a son. He is a son, he's my son. It's more than just a spirit. It's truth. He's no longer an orphan. He's my heir, and all that I have is his. And I will meet his needs, and he bears my name, and I'm not confused, and I'm not half hearted about any of that. How much more is our Father in heaven devoted, devoted to loving his children? We do not adopt ourselves. just being candid, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Um, but I, if you know me, I'm pretty open about this, but I, I wrestle with anxiety. I know many of you do too. Um, depression, anxiety, they, they kind of live together in the same little shack in the woods and they come out every once in a while and they knock on your door and they say, we're moving in. And I tell people that when those times are happening that I just I go through it, but I I know that many of you, too, one of the ways that manifests for me is this feeling of dread, and it's the feeling that every good thing in my life is extremely fragile, and it can just all get taken from me in a moment. And rationally, I know that's not true. Rationally, I know that's not how it works. And yet, sometimes I live with the fear that there's just no net under me, Right? And I, and I forget that all I will ever need has already been promised and has already been secured for me. But then, any and you feel that way sometimes? Then I look at Theo. Is he flying without a net? Man, not a chance. Is there a foundation under him? You better believe there is. You better believe there is. Even if he questions it, I'll lay down my life for him. And all that I have is his. And we gave him our name. And he is a Ramsey. And he is mine. And he is my son. And yes, I understand and accept that it will be in the eyes of the law as though he was born into my family. And I sign up for that. And that is never in question. And I take great comfort in knowing that even though Theo cannot possibly begin To fathom all that has been done to bring him into our family, to make him one of us, it happened already. We have not left him an orphan. Everything Paul says in this passage, that we are heirs, that we're full heirs, that we're adopted as sons with the kingdom of God as our inheritance is also immovably true, whether in this moment you believe it or not. If your faith is in Christ, guess what? It doesn't really matter what you feel about it. It's true. Just as Theo did not make himself a Ramsey, the Christian does not make him or herself God's child. God does this and he does it all the way and he does it forever. And so in this life, we're gonna struggle. We're gonna struggle sometimes to believe that God has fully embraced us as his own and we're gonna go through seasons of waiting on him and wondering why it's taking him so long to do the thing that seems so plain to us. But the promise holds that in Christ, we are full heirs, adopted as sons, and nothing can separate us from his love. And so I pray that we would learn to live that way, that we would learn to live as his children, and that we would freely call upon him for every need, knowing that he has already promised to meet them perfectly, and that as we're learning to live as adopted sons in the kingdom of God, as full heirs, that our lives would then be turned outward in the ways that we serve other people, in the confidence of knowing that we go out into the world bearing that name. Nothing can break that. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for these passages of scripture and I confess that a year and a half ago I would have preached this text at a different level of passion, I'm sure, because of the experiences that we've had in adopting Theo this last year. And so it's fresh for me because he's across the hall right now. And I'm sure he's wondering when he gets to come in here to see me. And yet, Lord, your affection for your people is greater than any love that any adopted parent has ever had for their kid. It's more perfect. It has a longer view of what's coming, what's down the road, what we need. And you are a perfect father who gives us what we need. And so Lord, thank you that your love never fails and that it never wavers and that you never give up and that you're bringing us into your family is never probationary, but it is always filled with passion and love, and it's always all the way. Help us to learn how to live as members of your household by imitating your son, learning to be imitators of Christ, and learning then to live as we serve others, as we serve our city and our our church and our world and our neighbors, as people who understand the beauty of belonging in this way. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.